Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, we made it to the end of the week, which is always an amazing feat. And uh, the news cycle has been fast and furious as always. So, Jim, that's an achievement in and of itself, a good martini in and of itself. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis today. The the bad one could also uh, uh, be crazy. Uh, we also found out, Jim, that like we do every four years, the Bears and the Jets are going to play each other this year. It's apparently going to be the uh, weekend of Thanksgiving, which means probably uh, we're going to be out of playoff contention. But you never know. It could be a really meaningful game. Could be. I was going to say, we, I'm, I'm sure listeners who were here four years ago have happy memories of our attack ads we recorded <laughs> against each other. But like we, you know, th- there's more passion. If, if this was a week one game, you and I would be, you know, raring to go because our teams would not be at least mathematically eliminated from the playoffs <laughs> in week one at zero and zero. Um, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be into it. Uh, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, but really by that point, you know, the, the the watchword around Jets fans is meaningful games in December. That's that's the goal. That's the threshold. We want to be not eliminated in December. And uh, you take a look at our brutal schedule. It's very easy to imagine them being like one and eight before the bye. Uh, so we'll see how things shake out. I'm hoping it'll be, you know, high stakes. But uh, knowing our teams, it'll be kind of like, eh, how are those high draft picks from uh, 2021 looking? Exactly. Yeah, four years ago, that game happened about a week before the midterm election day. This this year, it's going to be afterwards. But, you know, those special interests, Jim, they're relentless. So they might show <laughs> no, up anyway. Don't run the attack ads even after election. That's right. <laughs> yeah. It would be like, you know, Thanksgiving, Black Friday shopping commercials. <laughs> I'll buy you an offensive line to take care of field. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's dive into our, our good martini and it's good because once again, whenever we talk about polls, uh, the American people are understanding very clearly what's happening here and how this administration is sadly falling short. And it's not just about uh, being in a position to win elections anymore, Jim. Uh, I mean, we're always kind of in that mode, but uh, we see just how much people are hurting. These gas prices, 435 I just saw today in my neighborhood, and I'm sure it's worse in many other parts of the country, certainly out in California. Grocery prices are crazy. Uh, but right now in the new Monmouth poll, all-time low for Joe Biden, 38% approve, 57% disapprove. Uh, that's obviously uh, well down. He went underwater right after the whole Afghanistan debacle, and uh, he's never recovered, but it's gotten much, much worse. So nearly 20 points underwater now. And uh, just listen to some of these numbers. Among typical um, uh, household expenses, most Americans pay uh, a majority, 58%, say it's currently difficult for them to afford gas. Just over half also say it's difficult for them to pay grocery bills. Their tax bills still over 50%, and healthcare deductibles and out of pocket expenses both at 51%. Just under half say the same thing about health insurance premiums, and fewer than four in 10 say uh, making their mortgage or rent payment is difficult. But we're seeing stories about rent uh, skyrocketing as well. So, uh, Jim, I mean, this is about as nuts and bolts as it gets. And as we talked about yesterday with the producer price index, now, this stuff isn't going to change anytime soon. A lot of folks think it's going to linger into next year. And we might even be in a recession by the time election day rolls around. And so this just keeps getting worse and worse. And uh, when it's hitting you this squarely on a daily basis, uh, people are hurting and they're paying attention. You can't avoid it. 
Yeah. Now, this is where I usually joke, oh, people are going to think the podcast is in reruns. And if I keep making the same <laughs> joke over and over again, people will be even more convinced the podcast is in reruns. <laughs> but really, this is May 13th, people. It's Friday the 13th. And I, I do think this Monmouth poll is significant because it indicates Biden had not hit bottom in the previous editions of, wow, these are really bad poll numbers for, for Joe Biden. I think it indicates that actually he has not hit the floor. It can get worse. Uh, I don't know how exactly how low it will get, but when it says you know the right track, rocking track number is at uh, 18%, only 18% of Americans think the country is in the right direction. And does that mean 82% of Americans will vote for Republicans? No, but it basically says that it's, you know, when you're the incumbent, you want people feeling good about the state of the country. They want people to think you're doing a good job. They like the laws you're passing, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll just tell you, I don't think the abortion issue flips that. I don't think that's going to be this magic wand that's going to save Democrats as they head into the midterms. And, you know, just thinking of the simple issue of gas prices, you know, middle of the week, it was at, uh, I believe, 437, which was the highest. It was Tuesday, it was 437. That was the highest that had ever been recorded over on the AAA site. And then on Wednesday, it was 440. And then on Thursday, it was 441. And this morning, it's at 4.43. By the way, this is the national average. Yes, I know gas prices are maybe higher in your neck of the woods. Yes, I know some gas prices. Inevitably, there's some liberal who lives in a part of the country that has lower gas prices. And he's like, what are you saying? It's only 4.10. But yes, in your part of the country, it's 4. That's what a national average is. That's the candidate. Anyway, um, not that that gets under my skin on a regular basis. You know, really high gas prices are bad. Really high diesel fuel prices are perhaps even worse because that is what makes, you know, trucks run on those. And that's what gets everything to the store. There's been, you know, rumors of that at some point this summer, they're going to be forced to ration diesel fuel on the East Coast. Apparently the reserves are getting really bad on there. We haven't even mentioned the border and the possibility of, you know, waves of migrants coming over here in the summer. It's going to be a long, hot, difficult summer for a lot of Americans. They're going to be really angry at Biden. And so conceivably, this approval rating could go even lower. And this is just a just about as bad as it possibly can get. People are feeling it at the grocery store. They're feeling it at the gas pump. God help you if you're trying to buy a house. God help you if you're trying to make it buy a car. Can't find cars in a lot of these places. Um, you just add it up. It's just a dire circumstance for Democrats. And, you know, this, it's very easy to understand why Republicans don't want to lay out a particularly specific agenda. They just want to say, we are the party of, have you had enough? It's time for a change. It's not just that things are going badly, and, and obviously administration policies are a significant contributors to that. They can't even acknowledge the problems. And I think yeah. that's what's driving frustration as well. Everything is somebody else's fault. I mean, uh, Biden's out there the last few days talking about Trump and the great MAGA king and I mean, to, to solve something. He gives an inflation speech and has no ideas. And so, I mean, all they can do is try to spread the blame around or, or try to convince us that it's really not that bad. Mm -hmm. uh, people aren't going to put up with that. Yeah, just one last thing. This would be a tough job for any president. This would be a tough political circumstance for somebody who was an exceptionally gifted speaker, a revolutionary, bold, dynamic thinker, uh, somebody overflowing with charisma, you know, a whirling dervish of raw political charisma. Joe Biden is none of these things. Joe Biden is 79 years old and looks every single bit of it. So the idea that, oh, this is going to turn around when Biden gets on the campaign trail. Uh, no. <laughs> and, and I actually feel like Biden is in worse shape physically, psychologically, mentally, all that kind of stuff now than he was on Inauguration Day. The idea that he's going to come be even more, you know, in better shape and more refreshed and, you know, energetic and all that stuff come September, October and early November. I, I'm just not buying it.
No, exactly right. And I think it goes back to something we talked about with Governor Sununu the other day uh, that uh, he thought that, you know, the next president, whoever it is, should be a governor. Uh, and, you know, we've had lousy governors become president, too, like Jimmy Carter. Uh, and hey, and so hey, that, hey. That... Greg, you're forgetting somebody. <laughs> Don't forget all the different categories. I took Arkansas from 50th in the country all the way up to 49th. I'm proud of that. This election is about change. So yeah, you have in your pocket by the time my tax increases are done. Sorry, I, I, you mentioned you don't mention Clinton. All of a sudden, just burst right out of temporary <laughs> possession. Go ahead. Yeah, so you know, there's there's no guarantee that a governor is going to make a good president, but I, I think we're seeing the problem with Biden's life in the Senate, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. him being president now, because all he did for 36 years was vote however his leader wanted him to. It's, he's he's never been yeah. the one to, to to you know lead the way on these things. So yeah. uh, he's also, in an if the senator position. says, "Ah, eh, we may not react to a minor incursion." <laughs> well, he cares. When the commander in chief says that, then you know Russia's ears are listening. So, yes, exactly. Ah, uh, well, while your ears are listening, uh, think about your taste buds or uh, the great smell of those Omaha steaks on the grill, the great aroma, uh, the burgers, the taste, those great cheeseburgers, the chicken, everything, and it's all in the spring grill package. Let Omaha Steaks make it easy to stock up on all your grilling favorites. Visit omahasteaks.com and then enter Martini in the search bar and order the spring grill pack today. Love it, love it, love it when we get uh, new packages of Omaha Steaks. Mrs. Corumbus does an excellent job of uh, grilling all of it, and I cannot wait. We just had some burgers that have been in the freezer, like I said a few days ago, for a while. Just as good as the ones uh, that we grilled out uh, as soon as we got the box. So you're going to save more than 50% uh, when you use our code Martini. Plus, you'll get four Omaha Steaks burgers and four chicken breasts free with your order. This package has it all from the butcher cut filet mignons to the delicious caramel apple tartlets. And you can substitute different items to make sure your package has exactly what you want. Omaha Steaks delivers perfection in every single bite, every single time. And if you don't get it, They'll either give you a new package or your money back. 100% satisfaction guarantee. So visit omahasteaks.com and then type the keyword martini into the search bar and order today. Again, omahasteaks.com. Use the keyword martini and order the spring grill pack today. Don't forget about those four Omaha steak burgers and four chicken breasts for free. One more time, omahasteaks.com. Keyword martini. Jim, I'm going to take you in the Wayback Machine. Since you mentioned Bill Clinton, let's go back to 1992, which is, of course, the year he was elected president. Uh, it was also just a bad year for Republicans in a number of ways. I grew up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, but I was right on the line of Wisconsin. And so uh, uh, most of our TV came from Wisconsin. And so we got all the political ads that year. Uh, Republican Senator Bob Kasten was running for a third term. Spoiler alert, he didn't get it. Uh, but there was a vicious Democratic primary for the right to run against him. Two really rich guys. Uh, one uh, was a congressman named Jim Moody. And the other guy, I think, was a county executive named Joe Shakota. And for months, all you saw was these attack ads just beating the snot out of each other. It was so ugly. And then this guy who had hardly any money at all just kind of slipped through the crack while those guys were slugging it out. He had basically camcorder type campaign ads. They were kind of quirky, kind of fun. His name was Russ Feingold. He ended up getting nearly 70% of the vote because of all the ugly infighting. And then he went on to not only beat Bob Kasten, but serve three terms in the U.S. Senate before Ron Johnson took him out in 2010. So I don't know exactly what's happening in Pennsylvania right now, Jim. We've talked about uh, Dr. Oz and why it's very hard for us to believe that in any stretch of the imagination, he's a conservative. Uh, he's pretty much been an Oprah liberal for a long time. He's been wrong on abortion, the trans issue, guns. 
uh, other than some recent criticism of the CDC on COVID. Uh, not much to think of him as a conservative there, but he has been slugging it out, uh, hammer and tongue with Dave McCormick in this tight race. And as a result, a third candidate, Kathy Barnett, has basically turned this into a three-way dead heat heading into Tuesday. Uh, so as a result of her kind of catching up here, she is now the focus of more attention from the media and uh, certainly from the Oz campaign. Uh, Rick Grinnell was out there the other day uh, tweeting out, obviously out of context video, which was very bizarre. But at the same time, the Barnett campaign won't answer very basic questions mm. from reporters like Selena Zito, who basically and literally wrote the book on the Trump rise uh, in places like Pennsylvania in 2016. And so, Jim, you wrote about this in the, the morning jolt today of... Uh, unanswered questions, uh, slings and arrows going back and forth. It's not exactly where you want your party to be just a couple of days before a big uh, vote. Yeah, look, hard forward primaries are, are part of the political process. Sometimes they can be strengthening to a candidate. Not sure this is what's going on here. Uh, Greg, I usually get things completely right. But when running down the litany of Oz's uh, past liberal positions, you missed one. He opposed fracking. Uh, but hey, who cares about fracking in Pennsylvania, right? <laughs> Nobody worries about that. So yes, yeah, listeners know our uh, less the, 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 our thoughts on Dr. Oz, Kathy Barnett. I, I'm I'm relatively neutral. I think if you ask me, you know, who would I vote for? I'd probably go with McCormick as the safest bet. But you know, I'm not vehemently anti-Barnett. I do think it is troubling when Selena Zito, who by the way I think is one of the most reliable and fair-minded reporters out there. If you are a Republican and Selena Zito is asking you questions, you really should answer those questions. She's not out to screw you. She, she will put them out there. Uh, and the questions that she asked, Greg, I, mean, I, I cannot emphasize enough for listeners, what is the name of your hometown? Where were you an adjunct professor and when? When were you in officer candidate school? What financial institutions did you work for and when? When did you move from Virginia to Pennsylvania because her book biography, the book was published in 2020, but conceivably she may have written it in 2018, uh, lists her as being a resident of Virginia. So like th these are very basic questions. And instead, the campaign manager responded, Kathy keeps her early life as private as possible. So I'm sure you can understand why. Yeah, her, her, her early life, like 2018 to 2020, Greg. <laughs> um Look, you know, first of all, Zito's asking perfectly fair questions. And in today's morning, Joel, I was able to get at least a couple of dates on certain things about her uh, employment history. Uh, it is also worth noting that uh, I think it was uh, the Washington Free Beacon and other places wanted her to release her DD form about her dismissal. She has released several pages of her military records. I guess it's the, the uh, NGB-22, which I understand also is the lead character in the next Star Wars movie. Um, the NGB-22 is basically like the DD-22 form for the for the National Guard. It's the official discharge document. Uh, also, the uh, it was uh, Christina Wong over at the Breitbart uh, reached out to the Army National Guard and got a statement saying that she has served in the Alabama Army National Guard from September 1993 to March 1998 and also served in the Army Reserve as a human resource specialist from 98 to 2000. So it is not that Barnett is making up her background and her inspiring life story out of whole cloth. Um, and I think some of the attacks against her have been kind of uh, off base or taking things out of context or stuff like that. But there are some legitimate questions. And one that really comes up front and center uh, came up with it. She did an interview with uh, Philadelphia area radio host Chris DeGaul on his podcast. Yes, again, very basic question. When did you first vote in Pennsylvania and have you voted regularly in the state? And she mentions voting for Trump in the primary in 2016, as well as in the general election. 
Well, Pennsylvania state records don't verify that. According to Pennsylvania state voter rolls, she voted in 2018, 2020, and 2021. So did she vote in Virginia? But apparently, but the other thing is that apparently they're saying the biography on her book is a typo. Now, Greg, I don't know about you. I write teh, T-E-H, instead of the, T-H-E, roughly 9,000 times a day. <laughs> That's why they have a typo, right? You know, the idea of, oh, I wrote Virginia when I meant Pennsylvania strikes me as a very unusual typo. And I'm really surprised nobody picked that up on public before the, the book was published. But hey, all right, sometimes that stuff happens. So just these basic questions. Where did you live and when? And where did you vote and when? These seem like basic questions that a candidate should be able to answer. Some of these answers seem evasive or contradicted by other information. This is not reassuring. Um, maybe Kathy Barnett is the best possible candidate for the Pennsylvania Republicans. Uh, I certainly would rather see her in the Senate than Fetterman, but uh, this is not reassuring. So just laying this out, uh, my understanding is that a lot of both, not only the public polling, but the internal polling is effectively showing a three-way tie. Uh, maybe one is up by one or two percentage points, but it's all within the margin of error. Anybody's guess. So choose carefully, Republicans. Um, I'd like to have faith in Barnett, but some of her answers are making that tough. Oz has been a Republican for 20 minutes. And I just, you know, the point I made in today's jolt is like, Greg, our listeners have been conservatives for a long time. Uh, they, they, you know, or, you know they're, they're generally conservative. I suppose yes, probably have some left of center listeners. And if so, welcome. If you're conservative, been conservative a long time, you know, Maybe you think back to the Trump years or fighting against Obama and Obamacare or the Bush years. Maybe maybe go all the way back to the Reagan years. And I would ask listeners, in all that time, do you remember Mehmet Oz ever coming out and being on your side on any issue ever? Ever? I think he became a Republican 20 minutes ago. So, you know, I, I, I think at some point, if you're going to reward someone with a Senate nomination, it's good if they had been in the trenches with you at least once on one issue. And I can't think of a single time where Amendment Oz was there with conservatives. Yeah, it's really hard to think of one. I think I want to like Kathy Barnett. She's got a very powerful story about being the, you know, conceived in rape and her mother choosing life at a very young age and and uh, how that uh, instilled her passion for life and, uh, you know, uh, the importance of creating opportunities for all Americans. Uh, her actual comments, which they took out of context uh, against uh, BLM. And supporting the police back in 2020 uh, uh, were quite good. But uh, like you said, there's just a lot of basic stuff that that she shouldn't be that reticent to talk about, which which makes you wonder. So, again, not sure what's going to happen on Tuesday. Uh, a lot for Pennsylvania voters to uh, digest and dissect and uh, decide before they get out there on Tuesday if they haven't voted already. So uh, whatever happens, uh, it's going to be obviously a significant tell as to whether Republicans can hold that seat. All right, Jim, in the meantime... Uh, let's talk about what you might want to do this weekend. And hopefully if your weather's good, unlike here in the DC area where it's going to rain a lot of the weekend, uh, you want to spend some time outside. And if you're going to invest in that deck or patio, uh, you know, you want to make it as nice as possible. 93% of your life is spent indoors, but so many of our favorite moments are outdoors. You want that fresh air, the feeling of peace in your yard. And since the warmer weather is pretty much here, Make the most of it with Outer, the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more. Outer is better in every way because they've spent years perfecting outdoor products. They've got stunning modular designs to customize your space. They've got life-proof material with a nano coating that is water, mold, bleach, and stain resistant. They've got more than 1,000 neighborhood showrooms across the country so you can see the outer difference in person. And they have triple memory foam cushions that are comfier than most indoor sofas. 
Outer's patented built-in outer shell cover products protect your furniture from rain and dew. It's the how-did-no-one-think-of-this-before invention that made Shark Tank's Laurie Grenier and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest in outer. I love it when they fight over those deals. Oh, so much fun. So much fun on Shark Tank. But uh, yeah, like Jim said, the thousand neighborhood showrooms, they also have virtual showrooms. So if you're not near one of those thousand, you still have the opportunity to really get a good idea of how quality this furniture is and how beautiful it's going to look in your backyard or your patio, wherever uh, you have that space. So you just need to go to liveouter.com slash martini to see for yourself. See the difference at liveouter.com slash martini for a limited time. Get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere, and it's only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. So get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com slash martini, liveouter.com slash martini. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Jim, it's been a couple of weeks since we uh, spent time with our good friend Nina Jankowitz, the new uh, disinformation czar. Well, she's once again making waves and in not a way that's going to make anyone reassured that our free speech rights are going to be well protected as this uh, disinformation governance board gets going. Uh, hat tip to the post-millennial Twitter site, but the New York Post has this as well, of Jankowitz uh, thinking one way, one way to uh, confront disinformation on social media uh, is to let the verified users literally edit other people's tweets. Um, and I am eligible for it because I'm verified, but there are a lot of people who shouldn't be verified who aren't, you know, legit in my opinion. I mean, they are real people, but they're not, um, trustworthy anyway. So verified people can essentially start to edit Twitter the, the same sort of way that Wikipedia is. So they can add context to certain tweets. Um, so just as a easy example, not from any political standpoint, if President Trump were still on Twitter and tweeted a claim about voter fraud, someone could add context from one of the 60 lawsuits uh, that went through the court or uh, something that an election official in one of the states said, perhaps your own secretary of state uh, <laughs> and, and his news conferences, something like that, adding context so that people um, have a fuller picture rather than just an individual claim on a tweet. Uh, well, first of all, Jim, I guess they would need an edit button uh, for her to edit. But uh, nonetheless, what do you make of her thinking instead of just replying or uh, quote tweeting or whatever they call that, quote retweeting, uh, actually going in and changing what other people wrote because it doesn't line up with what she thinks the political narrative ought to be? Well, I'm not going to say there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Because in the end, she's a singing nut job who belongs nowhere near any government position like this. <laughs> but uh, I think it was John Schindler who wrote a couple of weeks ago. He pointed out the State Department has a bureau in it that is designed to fight foreign disinformation. And I emphasize foreign, right? It's the State Department. It's the Department of the Government that interacts with foreign governments and foreign populations. So if somebody's out there spreading anti-American disinformation, that's the part of the government that responds. So, and I think most of us would say, if somebody's out there saying, you know, uh, American labs cooked up the bio, the the, the COVID nineteen, or uh, America's using chemical biological weapons in Ukraine, or some sort of nonsense like that, it's good to have a part of the government saying, no, that's not true. Here are the facts. But I believe very strongly in the U.S. government taking action to uh, push back against foreign disinformation done by foreigners 
on foreign soil. <laughs> I don't want them doing this here in America. And the fact that this is, I think, was Schindler's point was that, that yes, of course, this is aimed at domestic sources of disinformation. And yes, of course, this is meant to lead towards censorship of U.S. voices. That's why it's in the Department of Homeland Security. It's not the Department of Foreign Security. It's not the Department of Over There Security. It's right here in the homeland. And it is a law enforcement organization. State Department, well, I know they have their own police force, security forces, stuff like that, protecting their buildings and stuff like that. The State Department's primary job is not law enforcement. DHS is. So the question is, what are they trying to... If you want... So when they first said this, uh, Mayorkas mentioned the... Um, really going back to the Obama years, probably at least 2014, if not earlier. All around Central America, there are all kinds of rumors that the U.S. is giving out permisos at the border or that your child is allowed to enter the country, but you aren't, and all kinds of stuff like that. And, you know, this is put out by coyotes and people smugglers who want to have clients, right? So if the State Department or some other part of the U.S. government wanted to create something to say, no, that is foreign disinformation, and we're going to push back against that. We're going to try to dispel these rumors. I could see that. I, I could see a purpose for that. I could see this is a legitimate government purpose. This woman is not the person you put in charge of that. No, by the way, all of her experience, I don't think I've ever seen anything refer to her dealing with the cartels. And the fact the finest thing the bulwark has ever published was this exceptionally detailed review of her work by somebody who had worked with the Czech government on foreign disinformation efforts and Russian disinformation efforts. And the short version is that it was shoddy. It was poorly researched. It often actually mixed up who the good guys and bad guys were, so to speak. And uh, she looks like a down-the-line partisan hack who basically believes that if a, you know, let's say the Russian government is saying something, you in America are spreading foreign disinformation, even if you genuinely believe what you're you're saying. She basically clearly believes the problem of disinformation is too many people saying things on the internet that she does not like. And she wants her or like-minded people to have the authority to come in and say, no, you can't say that. In fact, you know, I'm going to correct that. I'm going to edit your tweet to say, no, you're not allowed to say that. She, she, she wants to be a government censor. So even if you thought this project was a good idea, and I think that's an exceptionally debatable proposition. She is the exact wrong person to put in charge of it. And I can't help but wonder, Greg, did somebody put her in charge of this, like thinking it would not be a big deal? Uh, <laughs> in part, because like we have, we've seen so little information about this. Was the creation of this board sort of a make work sort of thing to put people in charge to look like, to look and feel like they're doing something, but that no one was actually going to do anything with, because that would explain how this maniac ended up being the executive chair of this, you know, action board or whatever the hell it's going to be. Yeah. Seems a couple sandwiches short of a picnic, but uh, <laughs> that's, that is the most Greg Columbus gentle way of calling someone a nut job ever. <laughs> so now Jim, I appreciate your analysis because not only is it spot on, but see, you are a blue check. So you could ah. literally have the power to change my tweets yeah. and so many others. So, you know, if people are out there disparaging the jets or something. You could just dive right in there and correct the record as you see fit. So the fact that you're willing to harness that potential power uh, speaks very highly of you. Indeed, Greg, I am a blue check for now. <laughs> Way to use your power for good. It's like Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> so it's the restraint more than what you could do with it that really... Yeah. But uh, your observation at the point of all this, this is all theoretical until Twitter gets an edit button, you know. That. <laughs> yes. I mean, so all of a sudden she does, maybe she does like Elon Musk. We'll see. <laughs> the only way it's going to happen. Anyway, Jim, that sounds like a good time to head into the weekend. Have a good one, and I'll see you again on Monday. See you Monday, Greg.
Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. Uh, thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, join us through your uh, home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And follow us on Twitter. The Blue Check, Jim Garrity is at Jim Garrity. I'm just lowly old me at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. The left would, of course, counter and say, well, listen, the, the sort of political establishment swindled everyone into paying these really high rates. So, in fact, it's just to sort of forgive this illegitimate uh, debt to begin with. But, you know, you're sort of stripping people of their own agency and decision making powers um, in, in order to make that argument. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 